I, I think, again, in the military, and rightfully so, we're continually looking for technological uh, advantages. But, you know, even with AI and, and the things that have been done, or that, that are, have been done in the past and are, you know, working on the future, I just don't believe you'll, you can never remove the human-to-human contact. We're never going to be able to put just a sensor out there that understands exactly what people are thinking, who key players are, and, and how to appropriately engage in a, address an operational environment that takes face-to-face, on-the-ground engagement to gain understanding and to influence people. Hi, and welcome to the 1CA Podcast. I am John McElligot, your host for today's episode. We're joined by a couple special guests from the Army CA Proponent down in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. We have Lieutenant Colonel Thurman Scott Dickerson, U.S. Army, currently serving as the Chief of Concept Development at the CA Proponent. He began his career as an armor crewman in 1996 and was commissioned as a Medical Service Corps officer in 2000 from Radford University. He holds a Master of Science degree in Criminal Justice from Radford and a Master of Arts in Strategic Security Studies from the National Defense University. Since 2008, Colonel Dickerson has served in diverse conventional and special operations command and staff positions within civil affairs to include RCENT CMO Officer Forward, Brigade Executive Officer, and 18th Airborne Corps Deputy G9. He has deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan multiple times, Qatar, Yemen, and served a one-year hardship tour in Kuwait. Colonel Jay Liddick, U.S. Army, currently serves as a Civil Affairs Commandant. He received his commission as an engineer officer from Indiana University of Pennsylvania in 1995 and holds a Master of Strategic Studies from the U.S. Army War College and a Master of Arts degree in International Relations from Webster University. Since 2004, Colonel Liddick has served in diverse command and staff positions within Civil Affairs to include Human Resources Command CA Branch Chief, Deputy Brigade Commander, and the Civil Affairs Advisor Irregular Warfare Integrator at the U.S. Army Peacekeeping and Stability Operations Institute. He has deployed to the Dominican Republic, Bosnia, Iraq, Colombia, Afghanistan, and Indonesia, and had a one-year tour in Honduras. Colonel Dickerson, Colonel Liddick, thank you very much for being on the One Year Podcast, and welcome. Hey, thank you, John. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and the, the platform to talk about something we love, Civil Affairs. Gentlemen, we wanted to talk today about what's happening within civil affairs and how it relates to large-scale combat operations. And this discussion is really born out of an article that you wrote uh, together with a third author. I'll note it was Linda Chung, a captain promotable, who, na- who by now may be a major, um, who was also working. Oh, that's great. Well, please tell, tell her hello and uh, congratulations for co-authoring this article with you. Um, we will. She's an awesome officer. That's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that uh, also that, and see that uh, you and other officers are putting out, and some thought leaders within the branch putting out some articles like this. The three of you published in Small Wars Journal an article entitled Calibrating Civil Affairs Forces for Lethality in Large-Scale Combat Operations. Analytic to you, what is going on in, in sort of the big picture in the Army and what led you to wanting to write this article? Yeah, John, I'll tell you, you know, as a, just as an Army officer, well, a civil affairs officer, I mean, it's interesting times uh, to be in the Army, to be in the military. Uh, I will tell you, Army specifically, 
the the pace of change I think is really unprecedented, and you, I think you have to go back to post Vietnam, uh, late seventies, early eighties, you know, creation of trade off, and to see similar major changes. The Army's looking at all its processes of how do we modernize, how do we be more agile in adapting and in, in creating the force that's going to be required in the future operating environment. Uh, just interesting times, you know, with change, there's always risk, but with change, there's opportunity. And from a civil affairs perspective, and things that we'll get into further as we, we have this discussion, it's, it's really given us a time, or, uh, you know, the, the right point to take a hard look at our force and see what does the civil affairs force of the future need to look like to be integrated at echelon to help the Army win. Uh, you know, in competition, but like we talked about large-scale combat operations and then getting back into uh, returning to competition. I, I tell everyone when I, when I speak, the Army's number one warfighting challenge is situational understanding. And my personal and professional perspective on that is, in large part, it's because civil affairs have not been able to deliver our, our piece to situational understanding, which is, you know, providing a commander that in-depth understanding of the civil environment. So the articles of thought piece on, on things that we need to do to adapt specifically in large-scale combat operation, but I can tell you as a proponent, we're looking hard across course modernization, training, and doctrine, and even personnel, how we develop people, of how do, how do we provide the commanders the right civil affairs capability they need to understand the civil environment, the human geography, uh, if you will, and address those key civil factors out there that are required for a commander to deal with, acknowledge, leverage, to be effective and achieve the military objectives. So exciting times interesting times, but a lot of opportunity. So, sir, your article that was published in Small Arms Journal, it depicts the evolution going from combined arms warfare to joint warfare to what we now call hybrid warfare. What would you say uh, about, what's, what is it about hybrid warfare that is fundamentally changing the way that civil affairs forces need to prepare to fight in the future? Look at conflict. It's very different from the way a lot of our adversaries look at conflict. 
And you know, we have a very gradient-driven view of this. You know, certain things have to happen. We declare war, uh, large-scale combat operations. Uh, the enemy doesn't have to do that. Our adversaries look at this as a more of a flow. Uh, they think of it like waves on a beach. And so they want to use our limits and our, our gradients against us, turn strengths into weaknesses that play to their strengths. And uh, by doing that, they've adopted a lot of the, a lot of hybrid warfare in an effort to fight below the line of, of war. Uh, we always think about things in terms of right and left, but really it's, a, it's an axis, right? And so they want to stay below the conflict line for the United States and fight in competition as much as they can. And if it's necessary to transition the conflict, they've done so in a way that serves their ends. And you could point to numerous examples, I won't go into specifics, that are very recent where this has been utilized very effectively. Um, and it, it works off of uh, you know, natural schisms and blocks and, and treaties, and they, it's used to the advantage of the enemy. So the enemy is now using these you know, capabilities in new ways that we're calling hybrid warfare. And what does the United States have to counter that, to work against that, and uh, effectively uh, neutralize it? Well, our, our, our main tenet of this article is, is that whether it's large-scale combat operations or otherwise, civil affairs has a large role to play in that. And specifically, looking at large-scale combat operations, how would that look? Are those actions that adversaries are taking in hybrid warfare mainly in the civil domain? Are they, are they mainly within the wheelhouse of civil affairs forces? Yes. I mean, specifically, I, mean, I don't want to use specific examples, but specific actions that are being done are, are proxy forces, special purpose forces that are utilized in line of conflict and also in conflict that essentially weaponize forces of the population, create a force multiplier effect for their actions, and uh, give credence to certain political narratives that are used to undermine the will of, of the adversary of that bad actor. So it doesn't matter if it's true or not. All that matters is is it believable and can you hang it on something that, uh, that will work and that you can then reinforce that with uh, your own proxies uh, that you have available to you. There are, there are numerous examples of this uh, going on currently, and that is, a, that is where we specifically are authorized to work in terms of Title X where no one else is. Um, and so it's a huge, in my opinion, uh, I'll speak for the comment everybody else, it's a huge gap that we're uniquely suited to fill in terms of role and purpose, maybe not according to structure, but definitely in terms of role and purpose. The paradox I think the Army has, and we, we continue to have, is what I call the lethality trap. And as soon as you are, have a shirt overmatch in a force-to-force fight, your adversary is going to go to the, the, most, you know, the most likely environment, not take you head on. And that, that is working within that populate, population base, making them the prize, and using that asset against you. And it brings everything with it that you can imagine, you know, the media coverage, uh, the, the concerns with casualties, civilian casualties, all that piece that can quickly, you know, stifle momentum and handcuff an army. So it, it's only logical that our adversaries are going to continue to reinforce and uh, look to how they, they implement hybrid warfare and, and use it against us. Right. Yeah, if, if, you, uh, if you look at how technology has changed the battlefield, Call it battlefield's kind of a misnomer, but change the, the environment that we've worked in, you know, connecting the hinterland to the megacity, uh, enabling uh, undergoverned areas to maximize their capabilities through communications, radicalization, 
in, uh, in, in certain areas they wouldn't have access to otherwise. They don't have to be there physically. They don't even have a, have a proxy or a sponsor there physically. They can do all of this through communication technology now. It's, it's completely changed how, how effective the efficacy of hybrid warfare because you have another arm, another, another method of delivery and reinforcement. Right. So, gentlemen, does that mean that this renewed focus on hybrid warfare, does that require a shift in CA core tasks? Well, I mean, in terms of core tasks, I don't know, I don't know if I'd be that ambitious to say it requires a change uh, to existing core tasks. Perhaps a better way to say it, it requires updating. You know, when we went to combined arms warfare, there were still tenants of warfare that were maintained, they were just applied in new ways, and, and their, their definitions maybe were expanded. Uh, I think that's what we're looking at here. And also, I would argue that there's there's simply tasks that may be core <laughs> that are not currently uh, elucidated. And so as a result, we have to figure out what those new requirements and tasks are. And the Silfair's white paper that, that was part of the inspiration for this article identified approximately 13 required capabilities that work toward those core competencies. Change, yes, uh, but not in terms of like the, the core, more through additive rather, rather than replace. And I think on that, uh, John, an important point for folks who may be listening is what their frame of reference of core tasks were. Mm -hmm, exactly. Because 17 April last month, uh, Lieutenant General Lundy at, at the Combined Arms Center published our new FM357 Civil Affairs Operations Manual. Which does change what our core tasks were, or you know, changes from past core tasks. Now, be very frank. What we're working through in in terms of modernizing the force, and as Scott alluded to, I think we're what we've already seen is there's going to be changes or updates, if you will, to to the tasks we laid out in the new manual. But it's not going to be a complete divergence from that path we're on. So, I, you know, I'll give the, the branch a plug. I, I truly believe that the 357 that was published last month is, is the best doctrine we've had to date. So, that's good to hear. Uh, yeah, I just so know it takes two to three years to develop something and get it approved, and, and if, you know, hybrid warfare was in mind uh, when that was drafted. It was to a degree, but I don't think to the, the degree we're able to bring it bring to it with what we're working through with our, our force modernization assessment that we'll get into. But, uh, I, I, you know, processes are, are long in the Army to a degree, but as I go back to my opening comments, the Army's changing processes and we're looking to do things in a more streamlined and efficient manner. So the things that we're talking about today, our intent is that not, not to take five to ten years for you to see these changes, but much, much more quickly, you know, we can do more rapid change to doctrine uh, and then get that into training in a quicker uh, a quicker way. Revisions don't take two years. Rewrites do, but revisions do not. Okay, good. Gentlemen, could you describe, please, um, how civil affairs forces could assist land force commanders in securing support areas, and and how do we then employ the civil components protection capabilities? Uh, MISCO, Maneuver Support 
Center of Excellence for a while now on how we look at this concept we call integrated security. Integrated security is the way that we see civil affairs contributing to security in the, in the rear areas and consolidation of gain. Uh, and so that means becoming a force multiplier for protection through civil networks, however that in, ends up transpiring. What would that look like? Well, you have to dial down the valve, the critical asset list, the asset list, protected asset list. How would those things be uh, divvied up? Could you use uh, local security forces to secure some of those? Um, could you secure some uh, alternative locks to take protection forces off of those? Could you, be able to, could you devote more combat power to the forward edge of battle because you do not have to worry about securing key nodes and locations with actual combat power? Uh, through utilizing the natural outputs of civil network development. And so that's, that's a key piece of this, is how you extend the reach of our protection assets, uh, because they are uh, very much engaged with, uh, with locks and, uh, and the, uh, uh, the asset list that has to be protected are, are critical. And so when you look at integrated security, it is a, it's, it's, it's kind of a all of the above situation. Specifically, getting down into the weeds of this, if, if just for a moment, uh, how would a civil affairs entity do that? Well, you, you kind of have to change your aperture a little bit. The unit of action and large-scale combat operations for this would be a company structure. I'm not not sure about yet. That, that'll come later. But then that unit of action would be would would operate as, as a tactical unit, uh, and they would maneuver and they would extend through civil reconnaissance and civil engagement the aperture and reconnaissance and surveillance plans of their parent entities uh, based on priority information requirements. They would chase those as necessary and then vet those, those, those forces of information, work with CI assets uh, that are in the formation and the parent formation specifically, and then go forward from there to neutralize bad actors, special purpose forces, soft elements, and create uh, security elements advantageous to uh, the, that commander on the ground. That's in a nutshell. We can delve into it as much as you want, but that's that's how we see it operating out. And the reason for this is, is that, as General Lundy says in FM30, the point of this is, is to consolidate gains in areas that uh, in the passive but have left space and time for the enemy to metastasize into the, into the next fight, whatever that fight would be. We don't want to stop that. We want to get inside that loop and, and completely stop it. Um, and we think that we have a key piece of that because where do the do SPF and soft forces find camouflage? That's usually in the civil populace. Yeah, and again, going back to where you know you have overmatch with a, an enemy force, they're actively in on it. It highlights why hybrid warfare is, is or critical to their approach. Their way to slow you down, bog you down, is to execute hybrid warfare that causes the, the momentum to, to stall on an offensive uh, piece and then you deplete combat power off to deal with those, those pieces. So they're actively looking at how they use that civil environment to to do that, and we just as actively need to be looking at how how do we work within the civil environment to prevent them from doing that. Now the comment that comment makes actually reminds me of something. So I just kind of talk macro, uh, excuse me, micro, but in a macro perspective, you know, if you look at this in the old paradigm of phases, right? So we're in phase three alpha, and we're conducting our 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 uh, our, our, our battle or battles uh, to seize key objectives and key terrain. Well. How do you think that if you don't have these, these, 
outside of these consolidation areas. How do you think that you transition from phase three, Charlie, into the phase four? If you don't know what is there and what the enemy or adversary has done in those pockets, and you're not tracking, you're not going to be able to do what the, you know, some folks would call bread and butter CA work as, as you transition to phase four. It, it, it is a, an investment that pays over time benefits that far out with some is far greater than the parts. Uh, but there's also benefits that have been hidden or not fully explored in each of those uh, subsequent parts. Yeah, and, you know, to further go on to add to what Scott said, I, I think it's a, a military cultural problem where, and I, I think it's fair to say, where we, we've tended to believe that we could just, you know, using the old phase construct, we'll, we'll just, we'll worry about all that stuff in phase four. No. Right. I, I think history shows that, that that is a erroneous or definitely short-sighted view of, of warfare. And the fact is, if, if you're not working this problem from through competition to armed conflict, you cannot hope to return to uh, competition with any terms of success without having done the pre-work. Right. So while this focused on large-scale com- combat operations, I mean, I, I think we're going to do a couple more articles, uh, Scott and the team and I, but make no mistake, civil affairs capability is required across that spectrum to make it work. And, and how we enable that commander for that large scale combat operation is something you can walk the dog all the way uh, across the, the conflict. I mean, it's, it's RSI enablement, right? So it's, it's, it's maneuver support in large form. It's a regular warfare for the embedded teams that were present prior to, right? It, it is a large capability across multiple modalities. And that is something that really has not been fully fleshed out. And that's what we're attempting to do with this first foray and also with subsequent work that will influence doctrine and training in the future. That's excellent. Well, yeah, I applaud you for doing that work. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to an interview with Lieutenant Colonel Scott Dickerson, Chief of Concept Development of CA Proponent, and Colonel Jay Liddick, the CA Commandant. When we come back from the break, we'll talk with the gentleman about um, how they see civil affairs as an ISR platform and some ideas for improving the network analysis capability. We'll be right back. The Civil Affairs Association continues to expand its value to its members. The Association recently established the Professional Publications Advisory Board and a supporting research library. Founded by the late Dr. Kurt Miller, retired Army Colonel, the CA Association Professional Publications Advisory Board comprises scholars and policy and publications experts to assist civil affairs professionals in publishing papers and articles in established professional journals. As a service to association members, the board also provides a research library to conduct research on academic or professional papers. Check out the website to find out which board members may be of greatest help and request their assistance by emailing the board. This is an amazing resource that you won't find in many other associations. If you're not yet a member of the Civil Affairs Association, go online to civilaffairsassoc.org and join today.
Welcome back to the 1CA podcast and our interview with Lieutenant Colonel Scott Dickerson and Colonel Jay Liddick from the CA Commandant's Office. Gentlemen, how do you see civil affairs as an ISR platform as you argued in this paper that was published in Small Wars Journal? This is Scott Dickerson. I'll add this first. The Commandant can correct me, but I'll probably go off the reservation. But uh, so the inspiration for this, honestly, uh, comes from a somewhat com- com- controversial paper that was published in 2009, Intel, where it looked at every element, every every soldier, every uh, every everyone a sensor, right? So um, specifically, when we started with that, we looked at how is how is CA different, or how is CA specifically relevant in this way? Well, it's a sensor platform that you don't have, and and. An element that you have to work in or through or buy that hasn't been exploited in the past to its fullest extent, and so there's no other element outside of, uh, uh, excuse me, in Title Ten that works exclusively with the sole component. And so there's a, there's a huge amount of data that comes out of that that can be relevant to combat operations, relevant to any operation really uh, that deals or, or works alongside civil entities or and considerations. So. We argue that the, that the civil affairs team or company is an ISR platform because it goes into spaces that have not previously been explored in a way that they have not been previously explored. Yeah. You know, I, I think, again, as a military, and rightfully so, we're continually looking for technological uh, advantages. But, you know, even with AI and, and the things that have been done or that, that are, have been done in the past and are, you know, working on the future, I just don't believe you'll, you can never remove the human to human contact. We're never going to be able to put just a sensor out there that understands exactly what people are thinking, who key players are, and, and how to appropriately engage and address an operational environment that takes face to face, on the ground engagement to gain understanding and to influence people. And it's connected to a soft truth. I think the first one that humans are more important than hardware. Absolutely. Yes. So, gentlemen, in my few years in civil affairs, I've seen and heard about a range of tools and approaches to civil network analysis. And how do you think that CA forces need to improve what we do for that network analysis capability? Well, so first of all, I attack your premise respectfully, and our own premise for that matter, John. We need to expand the aperture. It's not civil network analysis. It's civil networks. So... You have to figure out how you can develop them, how you're going to uh, manage them, maintain them, and utilize them. The analysis is going to happen at all of those stages, right? You, 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 maybe you identify an existing network. Maybe you develop something out of almost nothing. Uh, you analyze whether or not what your capabilities will be from that, what you can gain from it, what are the benefits, and you know, what are the costs. You, know, you, you do your fast D for everything that you do anyway, right? But you also do rudimentary analysis on what they bring to the table or could give to, for the USG interest in this particular case. Um, and you do that at every echelon of, of, of that as you go through civil networks. But then at the end, really what you don't want to do so much is, is analysis is you want your goal should be evaluation. So you take data from these civil networks that you've developed and you take the, you turn that into information uh, by correlating and corroborating what you've found and then you evaluate that after the analysis to see, you know, what's the so what? How does this matter? Um, so I would argue that civil network analysis is far too passive in terms of uh, expectations for the force. It's, 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 a, it's a, a much larger and uh, useful pursuit 
uh, look at civil network in terms of its development, uh, management, maintaining, and, uh, and uh, utilization. That's the, that was how I first took a stab at it. I'll pause there in case the commandant wants to say something more eloquently. Yeah, and I, I really think, John, that this is another one of those, this is a paradigm shift for us as a capability and, then, and for the force of recognizing that this is an essential thing that we bring and it goes back to how do you develop true situational understanding, how do you feed that back in, but our ability to uh, identify networks, understand them, engage them, and have them as tools that help us be successful, I don't think that's really how we've looked at civil affairs uh, in the past. So there are definitely you know, doctrinal and training implications for that as we go forward. And, you know, distilling out our framework of how, how, what does that look like exactly? How do we train people to do that? How are we able to replicate that across the capability? Again, you know, going back to the beginning, that's the exciting stuff to me. This, this is how we move civil affairs forward. But it's paradigm shift, you know, and I, you hear that a lot, the people going around, but as we move forward, it's not going to be your your grandma's civil affairs. Yeah, and also not to, I, mean, I just realized, look at the, or thinking about the question you asked, I'm not trying to duck any portion of it, because you asked about tools as well as approaches, right? So we, we kind of extensively covered the approach portion of that. In terms of tools, I mean, honestly, the, the, the number one thing is not platform-specific or dependent or anything like that, right? So whatever we need to use, we should be able to use, and we should come up with methodologies and uh, and capabilities that can be, that are widely able to be disseminated uh, based on what what we're working with through or by. Because we could be we could be working with USA, we could be working with. with uh, the State Department, even in a large-scale combat operation in some respects. So, I mean, it's not like that we're limited to that. We have to look at different, the different audiences we have to work by with and through as well, and not just host nation or resident populations, but also our own folks and how we do that based upon the authorities that we're operating under. So I would say that the, the tool is, is far less important to me, and we're not really focusing on a material solution at this juncture because we think that the approach has to be perfected first, not perfected, but good enough, because perfect is the enemy of good. But uh, that's where we're at right now. Uh, so not trying to dodge the tool question. I just don't think it's um, especially relevant. Right. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask you, but I think what you're saying now is in line with, I mean, we started this discussion saying that yeah, focus more on the how and not the what. And uh, what you just mentioned connects with a previous interview we had with a gentleman named Nick Crowley who, who did some work in Iraq with Human Terrain. Nick had talked about how civil affairs forces need more of a process. All right, so we have this, the SIM process. We have those steps right now, and it, and it ends with analysis, and then goes from there. You have something, you produce it, and then you disseminate. And that cycle continues over and over and over again. He was arguing in the discussion that uh, there's not as much information telling the CA forces how to do that work. He and I would be in violent agreement then. And, uh, you know, as we move forward, what is our process? What is our methodology with, you know, social science and rigor behind it that allows us to, again, train people to be replicatable, get consistent capability across the force? But, you know, what is our methodology, our framework for breaking down and, and identifying networks and, and, and continuing that cycle? That That is 
one of my driving things here in this position and uh, something that's near and dear to my heart because I believe it's absolutely essential for our capability. Yeah. I'll say not to find a point on it, but um, it's going to seem like I hate analysis. I absolutely don't hate analysis. What I shrink back from in terms of the term is it's not an in and of itself, nor does it really require a civil affairs uh, subject matter expert. Analysis can be done by virtually anybody with virtually any information, and you can see that proven out for every graduate student's thesis uh, based on secondary research. So my point here is, is that why do you need civil affairs to do this is because of the evaluation piece, which is part of what we're looking at and updating in terms of methodology. Providing that evaluation and, and a feedback loop that not only informs higher, but also then refines what lower is asked to do. And, and refines those priority information requirements and how you're utilizing a very finite resource. So it, it's, it's a higher, it is a higher requirement. It is more important than analysis because evaluation requires you to volunteer your pound of flesh. You are vouching for the information. You are giving a so what. You are not performing a recitation of statistics and, and uh, population data. Uh, you're, you are actually saying, this is what's important, boss, uh, or this is what's important. We need to do X. So tied to that, I guess, gentlemen, what do you think that civil affairs forces should be doing to better integrate our reports and the civil information that come out of this process to support the ground force commander's staff processes? And I guess, you know, to improve that, why is that not happening now? That's a great question, John. I think it is happening at different, you know, different levels of effectiveness in different places. And I, I, I think there are multiple pieces or factors that contribute to that. I think in some cases it's uh, for a force, it's we're just we lack capacity in, in staffs. Uh, you know, staff overmatch with an intel piece, but. I think what you're really getting at and, and what we're looking to move forward is, again, and this goes back to methodology, you know, how do we follow the intelligence preparation of the battlefield framework? What is our matching framework that naturally uh, synchronizes that and ingests it to provide a commander a whole picture? We're doing some work right now on laying that out and using, you know, the mission command processes and, and normal staff processes that already exist and the commander relies on. I don't think we've distilled out, again, the, the how and made that clear as a capability that, that everyone can, they're taught and can continue to use across the force. I cannot, I cannot understate the vehemence with, by which I agree with that statement. So we talk about the how here. It is, is we've been attempting a civil affairs, and just in my opinion, in my experience, to almost um, cut the baby in two in terms of staff and what civil affairs units perform and do. And so, but they, they're not, they are connected. And so when you say that you need to be able to bring X to a commander to make a decision, what assets are you using and what and where is that information being derived from? And you should be able to say that you need, in order to be able to produce certain things, that you need certain types of capabilities to do so. We need to do a better job of mapping out how a G9 actually provides that information, how an S9 actually provides that information based upon where they work and what they do, and what do they need when we break the glass in terms of conflict to be able to do their full function. 
so it's it's one of those things that we absolutely have to look at in terms of, of resourcing, but also in terms of training and expectations. If we don't train and, and build expectations, then there won't be an appetite. And what you will, you will have is what you have now, which is erratic performance. We cannot, we fail to give repeatable for performances because these benchmarks are not established for expectations and they're not there for our folks to know that they need to do or perform by them. That, that would be my distillation of that comment on the game. Yeah, no, I thing I use a lot and they explain it to folks, at least how I do things. If you go back to the, the Army of the 80s and 90s that I give it to, um, they used to have a thing called the Band of Excellence. You, you want a narrow band of excellence, right? That sine wave fits within that band, and, and you commanders across the force are receiving consistent quality. I mean, you might get Scott Dickerson, who's you know much better than Linux, but Linux still can produce. And in other, when you look at other branches, you know, I, I use the example of field artillery. The commander may like or dislike their field artillery person, but they're absolutely certain that they can provide fires uh, and plant fires and provide them. And we as a capability have got to narrow that band of excellence. And how do you do that? Really distilling out the hows that we've discussed, implementing training that teaches people to do the how, and, you know, continue to develop people through experience in the force. I think, you know, all of this is a lot of maturation as we, we go as a capability. And another one I use, you know, infantry branches existed for about 250 years. Same with engineers and field artillery. We are much younger as a force, so I think in a lot of ways we're still maturing. But I think we've gained a lot of lessons learned over the last 70 years, and especially the last 15. We have an environment right now where the Army is changing, and uh, the level of talent that we have across our, our, our whole force, we have the, the means and opportunity right now to, to affect tremendous change for the capability. And ultimately, you know, it's, that is not an in and of itself. Civil affairs, like every other capability in the Army, only exists to help a commander win. Absolutely. We never lose sight of that. That is our focus. How do we help the Army? And I, I use the analogy all the time that uh, with, with civil affairs and, you know, the, the civil affairs folks that are listening to this, if you, if you help the team get the ball across the goal line and you can do that consistently, they're going to make sure you have cleats, a helmet, and you're on the bus. And that goes back to that band of excellence. We've got to be able to help the team get the ball across the goal line all the time, not just based on you've got a really great person who just can intuitively do this versus somebody who doesn't get it and can't do it. Can't be the box of chocolates to the, to the Army. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, this has been a great conversation. I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Dickerson, the Chief of Concept Development at the CA Proponent, and Colonel Jay Liddick, Civil Affairs Commandant. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being on the 1CA Podcast. Hey, thank you, John, again. Really appreciate the platform. Appreciate what you're doing. We, we need everybody on board to continue to move Civil Affairs forward. So, and I, I welcome everyone that's willing to pick up an R and row. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory.